Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly, and I am back with another case for you today. Before we dive into today's case, I do briefly want to say something super quick. If you guys listened to Monday's episode, you may have heard an ad in the middle of an episode. Recently, Kenzie and I signed with a brand new company called Audio Boom, which is a huge, 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 huge accomplishment in the podcast world. What this means for us is that we signed with a company who gets us sponsors, which once more is a huge accomplishment for a podcast. When a podcast receives sponsorship, it means that they have worked their tail off like you wouldn't believe. A lot of podcasts never make it to that point. However, we did in less than three years of podcasting. With ads comes a lot of complaints from listeners. I just want you all to know that I work really hard doing research, writing, and then recording for these episodes. Sponsorships means that my dreams of making a podcast a career is now finally coming to fruition. And I am so incredibly thankful for that. With that said, I know a lot of listeners don't want ads, and so here in the near future, we will be offering a subscription so you can listen to your episodes ad-free. But in the meantime, I do hope you guys check out some of the products and things that we will be promoting in the near future, because these are all things that we have tried and trust. I want you guys to know that I will never promote, and you guys have my word on that, I will never promote a product I do not stand behind, and I have the luxury to try these products before I am promoting them. So rest assured on that aspect. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Today's case is one that might be a little bit more familiar for some people. Personally, it's one that I knew his name. However, I didn't know the story. So let's get into the murder of 13-year-old Dylan Redwine. Dylan Nicholas Redwine was born on February 6, 1999 to his parents Mark and Elaine. Dylan had an older brother named Corey, a half-brother named Brandon, as well as another half-sibling from his father Mark's first marriage. Growing up, Dylan was your average kid. He loved to play outside. He enjoyed playing basketball, eating pizza, hanging with his friends, you know, just the typical teenage young boy stuff. All in all, he was a pretty quiet and mellow kid. Now, Dylan's parents were married for 18 years before they finally decided to get a divorce. And his father, Mark, was a truck driver. And the long trips away really took a toll not only on the family as a whole, but on the marriage. Any marriage will see bumps when separation is in the mix. But for the Redwine family, it was just too hard for them to continue. The divorce between Mark and Elaine got messy fast, and as a lot of divorces do, they were in a very serious custody battle, and there just was a lot of fighting, which ultimately negatively impacted the kids. In September of 2012, Dylan met with a judge, and he was asked which parent would he rather live with. 
and this was super easy for Dylan to answer. He did not want to live with his father at all, like not at all, and he wanted to stay with his mother, Elaine. So the judge granted Elaine full custody, which Dylan was really relieved about. His relationship with his father had really become strained through his parents' divorce. Dylan was old enough to understand what was happening between his parents, and he understood the things that they were fighting about, and he absolutely did not like the way that his father treated his mother through all of this. And I think it was like Dylan seeing kind of the light on who his father truly was. So even though Elaine was granted full custody, Mark was given visitation rights. Obviously, this was not what Mark wanted. Mark wanted more than just visitations, but he took what he could get and booked a flight for Dylan to come and spend Thanksgiving 2012 with him. And let me just mention really quick that Dylan's mom was living near Colorado Springs at this time, and Dylan's dad was living in a place called Vallecito, Colorado. The two places are about a five and a half to six hour drive from each other. On November 18th, 2012, Dylan's mom took him to the airport to fly to his dad's house alone. Dylan did not want to go at all. And unfortunately, because this was a court ordered visit, he had to go and had absolutely no say in the matter. As I mentioned earlier, his relationship with his dad was pretty strained. He didn't like going to visit him, and honestly, he really didn't like being around his father. The visit that Dylan had prior to this Thanksgiving visit, he and his father, Mark, argued a lot about the divorce. It seemed like almost all of the pent-up anger and frustration that Mark felt towards his ex-wife, Elaine, came spewing out onto Dylan that trip. Another reason he didn't want to go is because his older brother wasn't going. His brother Corey was 18 years old at this point, so he couldn't be forced to go because he was an adult. So Dylan heads off to his dad's completely alone. There is footage from the airport that shows Dylan arriving and walking around. When Dylan touched down at the airport, he texted his mom to let her know that he made it in and In this text, he included a frown emoji, which was his way of showing her that he was not happy about being there. Unfortunately, this would be the final text message that Elaine would ever receive from her son. Mark picked up Dylan around 6 p.m. from the airport and started their drive back home. On the way home, they stopped off at a Walmart to pick up a few items and then they went to grab dinner. Mark had wanted to take Dylan to a restaurant, but Dylan insisted that he just wanted McDonald's. So they drove through a McDonald's drive-thru, grabbed their food, and then went on their way to Mark's. Once they got to Mark's, Dylan actually asked his dad if he could go and spend the night at a friend's house that he knew in town. This all just kind of goes to show that Dylan had no desire to stay and be around his father if he was trying to make plans the very first night that he got there. Mark told Dylan no, so Dylan had made plans to meet up with this friend first thing in the morning. And by first thing in the morning, I mean they planned to meet up at 6.30 a.m. Now, Dylan is a teenage boy. What teenager wants to willingly wake up that early on their vacation from school? That just goes to show how desperate Dylan was to get out of his dad's house and not 
be around him. The following day, Monday, November 19th, Mark had said that his son Dylan didn't actually wake up like he was supposed to to go meet his friend. When Mark got up and out of bed sometime after 7 a.m., he allegedly went to go wake up Dylan, who was still sleeping on the couch, but Dylan refused to wake up. So Mark left him be and left the house to go and run errands around town. Mark said that when he came back home around 11.30 a.m., he found that Dylan was not there. He said that the door was open, the TV was on, and he also said that he found a bowl of cereal that had been left on the table in front of the TV. Mark recalls that the TV had Nickelodeon on it, and he assumed that Dylan had been watching cartoons, but Dylan wasn't anywhere in the house. Mark also found that not only was Dylan gone, but so was his cell phone, his backpack, and his fishing pole. Because all of his things were missing, Mark said he assumed that Dylan had left to go hang out with his friend after all. Now, Mark says that he didn't find this odd at all that Dylan was gone. He didn't try to call him. He didn't try and text him or anything of that nature. And once more, he just assumed that he had left to go hang out with that friend. So Mark decided that he was going to lay down and take a nap. Mark said he woke up from his nap around 1.30 p.m. to find that Dylan still wasn't home yet. So Mark starts calling and texting his son, but all of those went unanswered. Sometime between 2.30 and 3 p.m., Mark said he left his home to try and see if he could find his son. He stopped at a couple of Dylan's friends' house to see if maybe he was there, but all of his friends said that they hadn't seen or heard from him. But a couple of his friends told Mark that they had been trying to reach out to Dylan all day long, but they never got a text back from him. So it was at this point that Mark said he started freaking out and decided to go to the Bayfield Marshal's office to make a report about his son being missing. While there, Mark sent Elaine a text message asking if she knew where Dylan was which Elaine thought this entire text was kind of weird. Like, why would he text her when she's literally hours away? And Dylan is supposed to be with him. Why would she know where he is? Even though she felt like this text was odd, Elaine freaked out and knew that something had to be wrong. I will add here that according to Nine News, Elaine then called the marshal's office to speak to them and they had no record or even had heard anything about Dylan. So did Mark actually go to the marshal's office or not? It didn't seem likely seeing how they had no idea who she was talking about. So Elaine, her boyfriend Mike, and Dylan's brother Corey all got into her car and drove the near six hours to Mark's house. As soon as they pulled into town, which was pretty late at night, they stopped at the sheriff's office to get more information and to see what they can do. This was also when Elaine filed the missing persons report. From there, they began searching around Mark's house around 1 o'clock in the morning. Now, here is where things get a little suspicious and kind of sketch. Instead of being out helping search for his missing son, Mark stayed at home sitting inside a completely dark house. Not a single light was on in the home. 
And while I know people handle things differently in their own way, I think most of us can say that we would not be sitting inside the house while our child was out there somewhere missing. We would be in the thick of it with searchers doing whatever we could to locate our missing child, but nope, not Mark. Elaine felt like this whole thing wasn't adding up. Dylan was this typical teenager where his phone was literally his lifeline to the outside world. He was always doing something on his phone, whether it be watching YouTube, texting with friends, or even playing a game. His phone was always within arm's reach, if not in his hand. So the fact that all of these text messages were going unanswered was a huge red flag for anyone who was close to Dylan. The boy would not leave people hanging like that if things were okay, especially his mother. But Dylan hadn't sent any text messages or had any kind of activity on his phone since 9.37 p.m. the night before. The final activity on his phone was a text that he had sent out to the friend that he was supposed to be meeting up with the following day. In this message, Dylan was just confirming that he would be there. At 6.46 a.m., so 16 minutes after Dylan was supposed to meet up with this friend, the friend had sent him a text message saying, where are you? But Dylan never replied. This same friend sent a second text message around 10 a.m., but again, no reply from Dylan. So because Mark was the last known person with Dylan, they did have to check out his story about running errands. They confirmed that between 7.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m., Mark was running errands like he said. Mark had stopped at his work's payroll office, he stopped in at his divorce attorney's office, and lastly, he stopped at the post office to mail Elaine a child support check. And these stops, of course, are caught on surveillance footage. When questioned on where Mark thought Dylan may have gone, he told authorities that Dylan maybe walked to this nearby campground area to meet with friends, or that maybe he just went to a friend's house. But the friend that he said he could have gone to lived nine miles away. And I'm sorry, a nine-mile walk in Colorado in November is going to be cold. I don't foresee a 13-year-old being willing to walk so far. But then again, stranger things have happened. And if Dylan was desperate enough to leave his dad's house, maybe he truly would have walked that far. With Dylan being 13 years old and not wanting to be at his dad's house, authorities were leaning towards the idea that maybe Dylan ran away. But Elaine kept telling them that there is just no way Dylan ran away. Though he didn't want to be at his dad's house, running away was just not in his character. He was a good kid, and he would never just run off, especially run off and then not even make contact with his mom when she was trying to get a hold of him. From the get-go, Elaine thought that whatever happened to Dylan and wherever he was, her ex-husband Mark was responsible. A search and rescue team was called out to help search for Dylan, and they scoured the area surrounding his father's home looking for any kind of sign of him. But this search for Dylan wouldn't be easy. The location where his father lived was surrounded by forest with steep canyons and very dense brush. So obviously this made it extremely difficult to search the area. The search and rescue team did all that they could to search this area. They brought in drones when they couldn't navigate certain areas, and they also brought in canines to hopefully track a scent. 
As days passed, the search for Dylan continued, but there was literally no sign of him or anything belonging to him. The entire family was absolutely heartbroken to have Thanksgiving roll around and Dylan still be missing. As time went on, Elaine and other members of the family and friends organized their own search parties. Through all of this, Elaine kept telling authorities that something with her ex-husband wasn't right. In her gut, she knew that Mark had done something to their son, and his story didn't add up to her either. One thing about his story that didn't sit right with Elaine was the fact that Mark had said that Dylan had taken his fishing pole. And though Dylan had gone fishing in the past, he didn't have much experience with it, and Dylan didn't even know how to thread a line or do any of those basic things needed for fishing. Dylan for sure wouldn't have taken his fishing pole if he was going to leave his dad's with a friend or even to run away. Another thing that stuck out to Elaine about Mark's story was the fact that he said that Dylan had been watching Nickelodeon on TV. At this point in time, Dylan wasn't really into cartoons or Nickelodeon anymore, and often when he would watch TV, it would be MTV. So that was another red flag for Elaine. The search went on for days and days, and nothing was found. Just over a week and a half into the search for Dylan, the police realized that this was more than just a runaway teenager, and that this was likely more of a recovery mission than a search for a living child. Once more, through all of this, Elaine was adamant that Mark had done something to their son. She was on the media pleading for answers, but she also admitted to them that her gut feeling was that Mark Redwine was involved in his disappearance. But Mark stuck to his story of leaving the home and returning to find that Dylan was gone. Mark was even on the news saying that his prayers are with his son and that he loves him. Even stating, quote, he was the light of my life and he meant everything to me, end quote. And he says all of this through tears and he continues on to say how he just wants him home just like everyone else. Later in the interview, he even states that he doesn't want the focus on him, that he wants it on Dylan because that's what's important. So not only was Elaine feeling some kind of way about Mark, but the community was as well. And one thing that people latched onto was in his statements to the media, he talks about Dylan in past tense. And he says, Dylan was the light of my life. Dylan meant everything to me. And as we know as true crime buffs, this is often something that authorities analyze and makes the assumption that they know the person is dead if they're using them in past tense. Finally, investigators went and searched Mark's home, and while there, they found some of Dylan's blood. Now, Mark's girlfriend was there during this search, and she had said that a year prior, when Dylan was visiting, he had cut his finger, and that was likely where the blood had come from. Authorities also cut out a chunk of an area rug to take back for further testing, and they also took Mark's electronic devices as well as his truck. Which Mark didn't fight any of this. He remained cooperative to law enforcement, and overall he seemed super upset that his son was missing. Mark, however, felt like he was being accused by the police, the media, and more importantly, he felt like his ex-wife had him on blast. 
Investigators brought in Marky and Lane for questioning, as they do in all missing persons cases. They have to question everybody, but they also gave them polygraph tests. Now, Elaine said that she passed her polygraph with no issues, but Mark, on the other hand, failed miserably. And even though Mark was told he failed, he said he was never told why or given any sort of data about the test. At this point, things are somewhat kind of at a standstill. Mark failed his polygraph test. However, there isn't much evidence to fully support that he had done something to his son. In February 2013, another large search was set to take place to search for Dylan once more. Once more, this search took place around Mark's home, and quite honestly, throughout the entire investigation, authorities didn't branch out too far from this area. They kept coming back to it, so to many, this was clear that they truly did suspect Mark as being involved, and it was just a matter of finding Dylan's remains to get the full answers. During this search, cadaver dogs once more were brought in to help, and again, the search resulted in nothing. The entire family was brought on the Dr. Phil show in late February 2013, and it was a lot of back and forth between the parents blaming each other. Mark had the audacity to say that he thought Elaine was somehow involved, even though she was nearly six hours away when he went missing. And of course, Elaine kept saying how Mark was the one who has questions that need to be answered because he was the one that lost their son. I will include the link to the Dr. Phil show in the description of this episode, so if you want to watch it, you can. It's like two hours long, so it's a pretty long special on Dylan. And throughout the episode, Mark just continues to argue that he's innocent, that he had nothing to do with his son's disappearance, and that he just wants him home. His other son, Corey, also came on the show, and he also stated that he believes his father did something to his brother. So everyone is pointing the finger at Mark, and Dr. Phil decides right then and there that, well, if you're innocent, let's just go ahead and go do a polygraph test right now on the show. I'm sure this is something that Dr. Phil had planned, and so he was ready with an expert who had conducted hundreds of polygraph tests. And Mark agreed, he said it right there on the show, that he was going to do it and get it done and taken care of. The guy who is going to be administering the test comes in and meets Mark. And then right before the test was about to start, Mark changes his mind and completely refuses to do it. And if you're someone who has watched Dr. Phil in the past, you know that man is not shy with his feelings. He was pissed that Mark changed his mind and was refusing to take the test. He begins yelling at Mark and practically is saying, if you're innocent, why wouldn't you want to take the test to clear your name while you're on national television? Though he didn't get the polygraph test done, going on Dr. Phil's show really helped get a lot more attention on Dylan's story. So at this point, when they're on the Dr. Phil show, a lot of the searches for Dylan had slowed down because of the weather, and they intended to pick searches back up after the spring and after things had thawed back out. In June of 2013, another search was to take place at Middle Mountain near the campground and around the Lake Vallecito Reservoir area. 
According to the Denver Post, on June 25th, 2013, 45 law enforcement and search and rescue workers discovered Dylan's remains and other items while searching along 12 miles of Middle Mountain Road. The Sheriff's Department spokesman Dan Bender said that they had worked more than 1,600 man hours during an extensive five-day search on the rugged, unpaved road which runs parallel to the road that Mark Redwine lives on. Now, they only found partial remains, but they were discovered around eight miles away from Mark's home. They were found in an area that was extremely difficult to get to. They continued to search for more of Dylan or any of his belongings, but they never recovered his backpack, cell phone, or any other items. The remains that they did have were taken to the medical examiner, and unfortunately, they were unable to determine the cause of death. They said it could have been a wildlife attack or a homicide. So when Mark got the news about his son, he went to the media and told them about how upset he was by the discovery of his son's remains. He said he was completely blindsided, and he had been trying to hold on to hope that he would be found alive. He also said at this point in time, his focus is now on making funeral arrangements with Elaine. The weekend after Dylan's remains were found, the community came together to hold a candlelight vigil for him. And then a private funeral was held for family and friends sometime later. Even though they finally knew that Dylan was gone, there were still many questions that were unanswered. Most importantly, was that cause of death? And Elaine once more went to the media to say she fully believes Mark is involved and that she had seen Mark be violent over the course of their 18-year marriage. Elaine even went and got a temporary restraining order against Mark because she just had this feeling that he was responsible for the death of her baby boy. Authorities went and searched Mark's house for a second time, and finally in August of 2015, authorities officially announced that Mark was a person of interest in the case of Dylan Redwine. Authorities also announced that they had cleared Elaine, her husband Mark Hall, and Dylan's brother Corey as being involved. On November 1st, 2015, more of Dylan's remains were found by a hiker who happened to stumble upon Dylan's skull. The skull was located one and a half miles from where the first set of remains were discovered. This discovery was what they needed to break the case open and begin piecing together what had happened to Dylan. When the medical examiner examined Dylan's skull, they found that he had a fracture above the left eye, and they also found evidence of blunt force trauma to the head. And according to the medical examiner, these injuries were not from an animal attack. He believed that the injuries that Dylan sustained were from a person and that the manner of death was homicide. With this new discovery, of course, the pressure on Mark intensified, and he continued to say he was innocent and that he wasn't involved. And he even went as far to say that someone likely planted Dylan's remains there to make him look guilty. Mark also said that if Dylan hadn't ran away or died from an animal attack, then maybe he had been kidnapped and murdered. He even said that perhaps Dylan ran away and then was accidentally shot by a hunter. 
Oddly enough, Mark even created a video that he made and posted to Facebook showing exactly how something like that could have happened. And a lot of people felt like this was an odd thing to do. And I agree. It's super odd and it almost seems like Mark thinks he's smarter than authorities and he's doing things to just throw them off. Mark kept pushing these different theories, like he was trying to get the heat off his back. Instead of just sitting idle, Elaine was loud once more with her opinions that Mark was involved. She organized rallies that took place outside of Mark's home, and people came with signs and chanted about wanting answers. Eventually, Elaine went and filed a wrongful death suit against Mark, who responded by filing one against her. Both cases were eventually dismissed, and in the summer of 2017, so nearly five years since Dylan had first disappeared, investigators announced that they had enough evidence to finally arrest Mark. When Mark was finally arrested, he was still working as a truck driver and had been in the state of Washington when he was tracked down and arrested. Mark willingly allowed them to arrest him. However, he did have lots of questions about the reason for his arrest. One thing that is so odd is that Mark had been traveling with another man who was a trainee. So the two guys spent a lot of time together driving around in the truck talking. Now, Mark had told this guy all about his missing son, but what is odd is that Mark had never once told him about the fact that his son was dead and that his remains had been found, nor did he tell him that he was actually a person of interest in the case. He did, however, tell him that he missed his son, but I just found that little tidbit kind of odd. Why tell him that he's missing but not tell him that his remains were found? I don't know. You guys will have to let me know what you think about that one because I find it weird. Now, when Mark was extradited back to Colorado, he was charged with second-degree murder and child abuse resulting in death. On August 15, 2017, in a Colorado courtroom, he pled not guilty to all charges. So even though Mark Redwine was arrested and charged in 2017, his court proceedings didn't wrap up until summer of 2021, and that is because it was rescheduled 10 times. One of the times it was delayed was due to Mark's attorney being arrested for domestic violence in September of 2019, and then after that, it was rescheduled for September 2020. At this point, when it was set to begin in 2020, we were knee-deep in the pandemic, and we all know how life went during all of that. When the trial finally began, there was a lot of information that obviously came out that had yet to be released to the public. In court, the prosecutors stated that they believed that Mark had murdered Dylan on his living room floor and that he had actually decapitated him, and then disposed of him out in the wilderness. The injuries that they found to the remains were believed to have been from a knife or some other sharp object right at the time of death. It also came out that there was traces of blood found throughout Mark's home, but mainly in the living room where they found it on the couch, under the carpet, and on the corner of a coffee table. Now, some of the blood couldn't be 100% confirmed to have belonged to Dylan. However, on the love seat, they for sure positively identified trace amounts of his blood. 
Also, they released that cadaver dogs picked up the scent of human remains inside the home, in the back of Mark's truck, as well as on some of Mark's personal belongings. Now, one thing that everyone had wondered from the beginning was, why would Mark do this to his son? Like, what would be the motive behind killing his son? And in court, the prosecution has to present and prove a motive. And the motive is very, very disturbing. And I've contemplated how I want to say all of this because it's extremely shocking, disturbing, and quite honestly, it makes me sick. But come to find out, the year before Dylan went missing, Mark had taken his two sons, Dylan and Corey, on a road trip. And it was during this road trip that the boys were playing on Mark's laptop and found some super disturbing pictures. The boys took the laptop into the bathroom so Mark wouldn't see them snooping, and they locked themselves in there and took pictures on their phone. Now, these images were shown in court and were shocking to literally everyone inside the courtroom, and this theory was backed up with Corey's testimony. So I'm sure you're wondering what these pictures are. And I'm not going to be putting these on our social medias. I will allow you guys to Google them yourself because they're literally all over the internet. But in these pictures, Mark is wearing a red bra, lipstick, and some makeup. But what was absolutely shocking about these pictures that the boys found was pictures of Mark dressed like this, eating human feces out of a baby diaper. Which again, that just makes me want to puke just saying it. And Mark's children were absolutely horrified and disgusted by these pictures. And they felt completely freaked out. So again, this happened the year before Dylan went missing. But in early 2012, Corey decided that he was going to confront his dad about these pictures. Mark was absolutely livid to find out that Corey and Dylan had seen those pictures, and he literally about lost his mind with anger. When the boys found these pictures, they already didn't like their dad because of the divorce with their mom. But finding these pictures was truly the cherry on top about their feelings, and it ruined whatever may have been left between them as father and son. The prosecution argued that Dylan may have confronted his father about these pictures and Mark snapped and murdered his son because of it. They also presented evidence that Mark had repeatedly lied to police and that he tried to do whatever he could to throw off the investigation. Mark's attorney denied that the person in those photos was even Mark, and he argued that it was likely that Elaine had photoshopped these photos to make Mark look bad which is just ridiculous in my opinion. Three different people testified in court that Mark was violent. Both of his ex-wives stated that their marriages were filled with fighting and that he was a violent person who sometimes became abusive towards them. Mark's son also testified the same thing that Mark was violent and often flew off in fits of rage. Others testified in court that when Dylan's remains were found, Mark was completely emotionless and calm about it all. Mark's defense attorney tried their darndest to argue against all of the prosecution's findings. The defense also argued that the trauma to Dylan's skull could have been caused from a bear or a mountain lion. 
He also said that the entire investigation was biased and sloppy, and his attorney tried to prove that point by pointing out that the forensic investigator mishandled Dylan's skull and that he had accidentally broken a small piece of it off. The defense said this entire thing was a complete accident and that Dylan had ran away because he didn't want to be at his dad's house and then was attacked by a wild animal. After closing arguments, the jury deliberated for six and a half hours before they came back with a guilty verdict for first-degree murder and child abuse resulting in the murder of 13-year-old Dylan Redwine. When the verdict was read, Mark once more was completely emotionless and almost seemed like he expected the verdict. In early October of 2021, Mark Redwine was sentenced to 48 years in prison. According to the Durango Herald, the 6th Judicial Court Judge Jeffrey Wilson stated, quote, I have trouble remembering a convicted criminal defendant that has shown such an utter lack of remorse for his criminal behavior, end quote. Mark, to this day, continues to say he is innocent. He even wrote for his pretrial investigation that the judge read during the sentencing, quote, innocent of all charges, miscarriage of justice fake conviction, sham trial. I take the circumstances very seriously and want to make it clear that I too lost a child I love more than life itself. I will fight for true justice, not for myself, but for Dylan. I have always shown remorse for things that I am guilty of. Stand against fake justice. End quote. Elaine was pleased with the outcome and was glad that Mark received the maximum sentence. At the time of his sentencing, Mark Redwine was 60 years old, and if he is still alive after his entire sentence has been served, he will be 108 years old before he is let out of prison. Crimeaholics, if you are not already a part of our private Facebook group, make sure you join by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group. In there, I share all pictures and information pertaining to the cases that I cover, and I will add here that I will not be sharing those pictures I mentioned earlier. But if you want to see them for yourself, just Google Dylan Redwine Dad Pictures and you'll find most of them on the internet. Also, make sure that you follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at the same username of crimeaholics.podcast. Also, if you wish to follow myself personally, you can find me by searching crimeaholly on Instagram. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's case. Kenzie will be back Monday for another Missing Monday. Until then, be aware and take care. Bye-bye.